The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening and welcome, welcome. Maybe I'll say that you're welcome to sit wherever you would like. If you feel like, oh, the chairs are not in the right place, you can move chairs around or move cushions around or something like this too. We never know exactly who's going to arrive, so we just put chairs around. So, I'm wondering if uh, any of you have had this... I'm sorry, my hair is... There we go. So I'm wondering if any of you have had an experience like this that uh, has happened to me, like early in uh, my practice coming to uh, meditation centers or to retreats, when there's these long uh, silent sits, there would be this, uh, you know, meditating, and then like, wow, that person in front of me is so still. I can't be that still. Oh, this is awful. I can never do this. How how can they do that? They'd never move at all. And then a little bit later, there's somebody who's ruffling in their purse, looking for something, making lots of noise. And like, then this thought, I'm such a great meditator. I never make those kinds of noises or something, right? How we like end up comparing ourselves to others. And sometimes we feel like, oh, we're just awful. Sometimes we feel like we're fantastic and going back and forth. And of course, it's not only in meditation, right, where this happens. It happens every, all areas of our lives. This probably isn't an area in which there isn't a subtle way in which this is happening or an obvious way in which this is happening. Because there is this... Um, this pattern that's really deep and really uh, persistent in humans to compare, to compare themselves to others about anything. Oh, that's a nice haircut. Maybe I should get my haircut like that. Or, oh, those are great socks. Oh, my socks are better than that person's socks. It's like whatever it is, right? We're always finding something something to compare ourselves with. And so there's this way in which in the Buddhist teachings we talk about this idea of self and not self. We even have this expression like selfing. And we could say the experience of selfing and measuring are synonyms. And the way that is is that if we're going to compare Ourselves. Maybe I should say measuring, comparing, selfing. These are like all the same. If we're going to compare ourselves to others, then we're making a very distinct, I'm like this, and they are like that. And so, and we might think that we're better or worse or the same, but there's this really sense of a, making a distinction between me and everything else that's not me. And a part of you might be saying, well, of course, of course we are. That's silly, Diana. Why are you even mentioning this? Well, there's a way in which we don't need to have such, always be holding these clear distinctions 
There's times I went to, it's really helpful. When you go to put your shoes back on, it's helpful to recognize these are my shoes and not somebody else's shoes. Or when you go home, get to the car, whatever it is, right? There's these things in which it occasions, situations in which it's enormously helpful to have a very clean, clear distinction. This is me and this is not me. But we don't have to do that all the time. In fact, it turns out that there's a lot of difficulties, and I'll use this word suffering, dukkha, and I'm using this word suffering to mean a really giant range of something that's just, yeah, a little mildly troubling to some really awful torment or suffering. So I'm using this one word to represent this whole range. <clears throat> so there's this... What? <clears throat> So this deeply embedded and this very tenacious pattern of comparing ourselves to others is something that the Buddha recognized and that he spoke about and talked about kind of the suffering that's inherent there. And I'll talk a little bit about this. But I want to also say that some of you may be familiar with this. There's this uh, list of fetters, this word fetters, is a list of 10 that are these underlying tendencies that humans have. And then as the progression to more and more freedom, more and more awakening, more and more liberation, these uh, fetters are um, released, abandoned, and no longer arise. And they're in a particular order, and they're let go of in a particular order. And... The last one, before you become an arhat, a completely awakened person like a Buddha, is this comparing mind. That's the very last. So I just want to highlight that this is a universal thing that all humans do. But part of the reason why I want to talk about it is because there's a way in which we can reduce some of the difficulties or suffering that's associated with it. And there's also even a way in which we could reduce the amount of the way that we do this and that we're comparing ourselves to others. So there's this uh, idea that, like, maybe I'll just say this again, this idea when we're measuring as a way, and we're also kind of like me-ing, we're making a me so comparing is also the sense of there's a me and not me. So there might be a way in which we feel like we're smarter than others or we have more expertise than others or there might be a way in which we feel kind of clumsy or unworthy or maybe there's ways in which we feel like we're the same as everybody else. But in all three of those scenarios, we're comparing ourselves to others. So it doesn't matter whether you think yourself you're better you think you're worse or you think you're the same. It's the activity of comparing. It's the activity of measuring. And you know what? I'm wondering if we can turn off the air conditioning here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see, I'm seeing everybody's body language and everybody's like this. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. If there's a way we can turn up the heat. It comes from uh, these... Uh, 
vents and it comes really really forcefully just a note there are microclimates here so if you're somebody who's really sensitive to the cold you can like sit on the stage because that's on the other side of those vents it's a little bit warmer over there just a heads up about this thank you Jim Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about this uh, superiority comparison. When you compare and you think, I'm better somehow. So, and in the um, Buddhist language, this comparing, this making this me and measuring, they, it, this word mana gets uh, translated as conceit. It's not the best translation because in English we think of conceit as always when you think that you're better. But this is pointing to just comparing in general, whether you think you're better, you think you're the worse, or you think the same. It's the same word is used for all three. And I want to talk a little bit about these three. But there, so this um, superiority conceit is, you know, I, I think most of us are familiar with what this is. This idea you think that you're better, better than others or above others in some kind of way. And somehow this feeling that we're more competent or more worthy or more deserving or whatever it is. We might know people who um, have this. We might see it in ourselves in some certain situations. But there's a way that it also can show up in a subtle way. And this way that we have this maybe subtle belief somehow that we're special or that uh, the way that we do things or the our views, our opinions are the right ones. Or maybe we have this sense of kind of like being invulnerable or like, I can do this. I'm going to go out and do this. No harm's going to happen to me. I, I can handle this. Or you know, there's these subtle ways in which this superiority conceit uh, shows up kind of like in our inner life, like the views that we have about ourselves. And then I think all of us recognize this in the world we see with this people show up with arrogance or bragging or you know proclaiming how great they are they know things and of course we can see this in the way that they treat other people that are in the in service the wait staff the barista the whomever we can see this showing up right and how they treat them but there's also a way in which you have this superiority conceit is that you expect others to treat you a certain way, right? That matches the view that you have of yourself. And have you ever tried to change the whole world so that they behave exactly how you think they should? It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. So one of the obvious, some, one of the disadvantages besides irritating everybody around you of uh, having this superiority conceit is that there's a way in which if we see somebody who's having some real difficulties, whether we know them or we don't know them, whatever our relationship is with them, somebody that's having some real difficulties and a person might have some compassion for them and w- wish that their difficulties go away and wish that they um, could have some happiness and well-being. And so this wish is compassion. It's when loving kindness meets difficulties, it turns into compassion, this wish for beings to not suffer. But if you have this superiority conceit, then instead of compassion, it turns into pity. 
Like you have pity for other people. And nobody likes that, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're being pitied. And also, it's just not a pleasant experience. It's does, it doesn't help anybody. It only makes others feel bad. Probably even the person who's having that experience to feel, have pity for others as opposed to have compassion. And having the superiority conceit also like, and it gets in the way of allowing people to listen deeply. I know some people who, that uh, they're kind of like often sometimes like interrupting before a person has finished finished speaking, and they'll say, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right." But even they'll say that even if the other person speaking is telling something about their own personal experience, that the person that has the superiority conceit would know nothing about. So why are they saying, "Yeah, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah"? Kind of dismissive this way. So there's this way in which you don't really listen deeply to others and often you aren't connecting with others in this kind of way so this superiority conceit and it also kind of like gets in the way of um, being able to hear criticism in a way that allows us to have our best life that allows us to recognize oh I'm causing harm here. Or, oh, I have this big blind spot. Whatever the harm or the blind spot might be, if we have this superiority conceit, we don't get to hear that or see that. Okay, so that's the superiority conceit. What about this idea that inferiority conceit? This idea that we feel less than. Turns out not to be so uncommon. In fact, I would even say it's common. I would say in my role as a Dharma teacher, I hear about this a lot. So maybe it's just people who come to meditation centers and meditation practice, but I don't think so. So there's this way in which we feel less worthy, less knowledgeable, less attractive, less valuable, less anything. You could, whatever, right? It's... And it seems like the list is limitless, all these ways in which we can feel less than in some kind of way. And it's very painful. I'm sure all of us have had this experience. It's a really painful experience to be stuck in this feeling of, I'm not good enough, maybe I shouldn't even be here. And I remember in my professional life back when I was in corporate America, I um, was part of this committee, and I just felt like, wow, everybody else has so much more experience and so much more senior than me. Well, you know, what am I doing on this committee? And I just like, when is this going to leave? I just want to hope nobody asks me a question, and I daren't speak, and I couldn't wait for it to be over. And then uh, afterwards, somebody who I don't really knew a little bit came up to me and said, why were you frowning so much during that whole meeting? Like, oh, yeah, I was showing up just because I was feeling like, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged on that committee or that meeting, that group or something like this. So it just, it's such an awkward feeling, this terrible of like, yeah, not enough, inadequate in some kind of way. And so this shows up as this way that can be uh, maybe even a little bit subtle, Maybe it's obvious, can also be in some subtle ways, in which that we feel like 
we don't really have the right to vouch for ourselves. We don't really have the right to express our views or our opinions or share our thoughts. Or maybe we don't uh, feel like, oh, what I have to say isn't that important or it doesn't really matter. Nobody else, you know, we'll just let everybody else speak or something like this. Somehow kind of like devaluing what we have to offer, devaluing maybe even our life experience, our wisdom. We all have wisdom. You could have not gotten to this age in your life without some wisdom, right? We're all adults here, right? So there's a way in which we might be adept at uh, praising others or seeing their strengths or seeing their accomplishments, but somehow we can't quite acknowledge in ourselves some of our own strengths, our accomplishments, or some of the ways that we show up in the world that are helpful for others. Some of the way that we show up in the world that uh, helps to not solve problems or maybe just isn't negligent, just takes care of your responsibilities as opposed to making it so that somebody else has to take care of your responsibilities. And, and there's this way in which when there's this inferiority conceit, it often comes, not always, but it often comes with this sense of, well, this is how I truly am. And this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You know, there's this kind of sense of, yeah, I'm always going to be inadequate. And I'm doing this with my body, right? It kind of feels like this. It's burdensome. Like, oh, yeah, this is how I am. This way we kind of like are diminishing ourselves. But not only diminishing ourselves, we've kind of like glued onto this idea. And this is the way that it will always be. Or this is just, this is how I truly am. The real me is inadequate, insufficient, not worthy or something like this. Ouch, 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 ouch. Wow, this this hurts. This is an awful experience to have this uh, feeling and to have these ideas. I'll talk a little bit more about that this in a moment. But I also want to talk about the equality conceit. This idea of, oh, we think that we're the same. And you might say, well, clearly that's like the middle way. And I'm betting that's what the Buddhists are saying. They do this uh, equality conceit. But not so, because it's still, the problem isn't that uh, how we come up with the comparison. The issue is the fact that we're comparing. It doesn't matter what the results are. It's the fact that we're comparing, which is where this kind of integral, um, it's this selfing that doesn't allow for greater freedom. But there's, to be sure, there's, uh, there is uh, suffering in whatever the outcome of the comparing is, the superiority, inferiority, or equality. So we might say that, you know, equality conceived is a great thing, partly because, you know, democracy is uh, based on this, this idea that everybody has an opportunity to participate, that all citizens have the same rights. You know, this is a integral belief for democracies across the world. Of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Of course not. 
course not, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But there's this way in which sometimes we use this equality conceit as a way to define ourselves. I'm the one that's like them. I'm the one that's part of this group. Not that group over there. There's this way in which there's, there's still this strong sense of there's a self here. And it's uh, even, so maybe well, I'm the same as all of these, but all of these people are different than those people over there. And there's this way is that it, it can feel like reassuring. Of course it does. And, and we do want to normalize people's experience and recognize the common humanity about there's so many things that are common to the human experience. But there's this, so it can feel reassuring to feel like we're the same as others, but there's this way in which we're also making others different and that we're like limiting ourselves. Like I'm, I'm just this and I have to defend this. Because there's always this, well, do I really belong to this group? That person didn't greet me the way that I thought that they should because I'm part of this group too, but maybe not. Or, you know, there's this way in which to feel like we're belonging to the group requires that other people behave in a particular way. In the same way that the superiority conceit, we kind of have this expectation that people will, you know, treat us like we deserve, like we expect. But with equality conceit, we also are expecting other people to treat us as equals, or that we belong, or that we're part of the group, or something like this. So there might be a way in which we have this equality conceit that shows up and that uh, we say, okay, well, we're all equal in this group, so therefore no one deserves any preferential treatment. Which in theory sounds nice, but in order for there to be... um, I wrote down this word here, so fairness. And maybe we'd even say like justice, that we can say, you know, some people who have disadvantages maybe need something that's a little bit different than what the other people who don't have some disadvantages, just so that we can maintain this equality. We need to make sure that these individuals still get to go to school and have a job or move around town or whatever it is. This is just one example that we want to think like everybody should be treated exactly the same, but you know, for some people who have disadvantages, then they would be completely left behind. And that's not right. That's not what, not what we want to do. Or maybe there's another way in which this equality conceit can be problematic, is if we decide, oh, all human beings are selfish. <laughs> Or you could make up anything you want. Or just, you know, looking out for number one, or lazy, or whatever it is. There's this way in which we can use these blanket statements to say, oh yeah, all human beings are the same, I'm one of them, and everybody else is have these uh, inherent qualities that are bad or unwanted in some kind of way. And there was this, um, let's see, I had a note about this, but it's not here, so 
I guess I won't say it then. (laughs) So there's this... So what is some of this suffering that's associated with these conceits? I've been talking about this the suffering of making ourselves really distinct. But certainly early in my practice, that just did not make any sense at all to me. And so it might be like, some, this is something that's maybe a, a little pointed to um, with practice. When we notice, like for example, when the, we're doing something that we love, one of our favorite things, a hobby, there's just a sense of ease. And whatever needs to be done is being done dancing, the next move needs to be done. Sports, the next move needs to be done. Knitting, the next knitting. Gardening, you know, whatever it is. There isn't a sense of me doing. There's just doing. And so that doing, right, there's more ease and freedom and openness and spaciousness when just that doing is happening as opposed to I am doing that so this is a subtle difference. And so this um, there's a, so there's suffering and doing this measuring, this meeting and comparing, having this conceit, because we're creating a self that is separate from everything else. But I want to highlight some of the other ways, and the, the, this brings in some suffering. And one is this cognitive dissonance that arises. I alluded to this earlier, when people aren't treating us the way that we are viewing ourselves. This is really painful. You know, to be disrespected or to be somebody to be dismissive of us when we were thinking, there's, why are they treating me that way? I'll like, I'm just asking for a cup, you know, coffee and maybe the barista is being dismissive. Or Actually, this happened to me just recently at the grocery store. I don't know why, but this one person like wouldn't even acknowledge my existence and didn't even ask if I wanted bags or, you know, like this. Didn't And just like, beep, 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 and then just stood there and when it was done and I had to look and see how much it was. And, you know, it was just kind of a, I felt like, oh, it was kind of a weird thing. I kind of expected to at least be acknowledged that I was there. You know, it's a little ritual that we do, right, with the grocery clerks when we're there. So there can be this cognitive dissonance. And sometimes we uh, are just dismissive of them when people don't treat us the way that we expect. Or, But maybe they are also seeing something that we don't want to see in ourselves. And that, of course, is also really uncomfortable. But I'd like to... Uh, here's a quote from Paul Fulton who's a Dharma teacher also. And this is part of, I would say, selfing in general and superiority conceit in particular. Paul Fulton writes, the pleasure of feeling superior is always precarious, subject to being erased with one untoward interaction. Once this comparing mind arises, it threatens to negate any nourishment we may have gained from our accomplishments. Self-esteem is in constant renegotiation, never a truly finished product immune from fluctuation. So this is us trying to make sure that we're getting, training everybody to uh, treat us in a particular way. I think that's one's easy to see, but this, 
the suffering of equality, conceit, is this way that it also depends on others. And there's a way in which we are, if we do think that we are um, equal to others, or then here's the note that I was looking for earlier, there's this way that we can have this disillusionment with this, with human potential. There's a way in which we can feel like there's this mediocrity, like, well, they can't do it, so I, I, I probably can't either. Or there's a way in which we have this resignation or cynicism, like, yeah, everybody is just out for themselves. And there's a way that the suffering with the inferiority conceit, that one's obvious, but the superiority conceit, trying to always keep it up, and the equality conceit, the way that um, it's there's a way in which it can have this cynicism. This these ways they undermine us. They undermine our. They help us like lose our ground, lose our uprightness, lose our alignment, because we're trying to in some ways kind of like manipulate the environment or manipulate our thoughts to support these conceits, to either get away from the suffering of them or try to, maybe that's it basically, just trying to get away from the suffering of them. And then of course not to mention that life experiences can shatter these conceits, these ideas that we have about ourselves. Long-term relationships end, and then all of a sudden, like, wow, these ideas about ourselves that maybe we discover, maybe they're not true. Or maybe illnesses or accidents and our capabilities are diminished or different, and we feel like, oh, I always thought I was capable, but now I'm not capable in this realm, and all the difficulties associated with that. So how do we practice with this? How can we practice with this? So in some way, as I said, you know, conceit is the last fetter to go before complete awakening. So this is something that won't, we can't expect it to go away. This measuring is not going to completely go away until we're completely awakened. But is there a way we can diminish the suffering? And this is something that uh, Yaka Nakamura, she's another, Yuka Nakamura, another Dharma teacher. She lives in Switzerland and teaches in Switzerland and in the UK and a little bit at IMS. She had this idea that what if we notice that differences in people is like different flowers? And I don't know why, I felt kind of my, when I uh, heard this, I felt like, that's right. It's different flowers have different qualities, and we don't necessarily are going around and you know saying this one's better or worse. Like maybe some are better for they last in the vase longer, but maybe they're also these are more beautiful or the scent is good or you know, there's different qualities. We don't just say with uh, particular flowers like oh this flower is bad, this flower is good. Can we just say? different people are like different flowers. Because 
of course, we are still going to distinguish people. We're going to have discernment about people. Of course we are. We're going to notice people who have skills that we don't have. We're going to notice people have knowledge that we don't have. Maybe we have the knowledge and they don't have. Or age, right? People have, you know, age differences and therefore they have different life experiences. So the objective here is not to like get completely stop comparing because we need to compare. It just makes sense. It's how we move through the world and it's how we can learn from others. It's how we can teach others, how we can help each other. And there's this uh, rule that the monastics have. Many of you know, right? The um, monastics in this tradition, they all their meals are with alms around. So they have alms bowls. So they only are allowed to eat what gets put into their bowl every day. And so one of the rules is that you can't look in somebody else's bowl. You only look at what's in your bowl. So we might think of that as a way of, you know, not being so worried about what's happening with others. Is there a way that we can say, that, okay, you know, they have their own path. They have their life. Maybe we don't even know, you know, what brought them to this moment. And what are we doing with our life, our path? You know, what are our priorities and how can we have a life go the direction that we wanted to go. So this encouragement to focus on what's relevant for us. Comparing will happen, but maybe there's a way that we can hold it a little bit more lightly. This recognition, this is what humans do. And we don't have to say it means that we are like inherently inferior or inherently superior. Just, okay, at this moment... This person seems to have a skill set and knowledge, capabilities that I don't have. At this moment, I have these particular skills, knowledge, capabilities that somebody else doesn't have. At this moment, we're the same. We're all doing whatever it is that we're doing together. So one is to notice people's different types of flowers. The second is to there's something about the common humanity. Like, we all do this, and we don't have to believe the conclusions that we come to when these comparisons are made. Maybe just like that little um, anecdote I gave at the beginning where you think, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible meditator. And then just a few moments later, like, oh, I'm a great meditator, right? It depends, like, who we're comparing ourselves to. So... We don't have to like hold on to say this is inherent about who I am. And then there's also a way in which we can use this conceit in a skillful way. There's a way in which we can use it as a support. Because it's not going to go away until we're completely awakened. So there's a way we can harness this to support us. And one is to be inspired by other people. I've told this story a number of times. But it's getting back to meditating too. My very first retreat, I didn't even know it was humanly possible to sit still like that. I didn't even know. Like now I can, just because I've been doing it for all these years. But at the beginning, I was like, humans can do this. They can sit without, not in a chair, you know, with a back straight for that long. I was, and I felt 
first I felt really bad. Like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. I'm a disaster. But I also felt inspired. Like, okay, this is possible. People can do this. There are people who have, you know, been practicing for a long time and you can sense the ease and the peace, the spaciousness that they have. And you can say, okay, this is possible to have more and more freedom in our lives, have more and more ease in our life. So we can be inspired. And we can be inspiring for others. Right? There's a way in which we show, just showing up in certain ways, we influence each other. Whether people are saying, walking up to us and saying, you're so inspiring, I can't believe that you did X, Y, or Z. There's a way in which we can help um, like be the change we want to see in the world and show up in a way that has openness, spaciousness, kindness. And we can inspire others. And we can be inspired by others. So this is a way in which conceit can be part of our practice. There's also, some of you might know this um, part of that Brahma Vihara is that these are uh, heart practices or heart qualities, or both practices and qualities. And earlier I talked about uh, compassion is when love or warm-heartedness and care, love meets suffering. It turns into compassion, this wish for the suffering to end. In the same way, and the opposite happens when love meets somebody who's just having a fantastic time. Maybe they got the job they wanted or maybe somebody in their family married somebody who was such a great partner for them and we're really happy. Maybe there's... um, we something got great news from the doctors from the test or something like this like something really good has happened so when love meets this something really good happening in somebody else it turns into appreciative joy we're happy that they're happy so this way there's this conceit that oh they have something that maybe i don't have but i can be happy for them I can join in their well-wishing and wish for their happiness to continue because just think how the world would be if people were happy. If some of their wishes were coming true with what they really wanted, just think how this world would be. So of course we want others to be happy. We appreciate it when they're happy. So when we see that, we can just allow ourselves to feel the happiness too. So, in some ways we could say all of Buddhist practice is to help us with this conceit. And then I'll just say briefly, I'll just drop in a few words, practicing with impermanence, noticing how things change. Everything changes. There are not exceptions. Everything changes. The only things that don't change, right, are our ideas. But actual experiences and objects and things, those change. But So the ideas, this, you know, the next moment is going to be the next moment. It's going to be different. And so we might feel inferior, we might feel superior, we might feel equal. Like if we pay attention to how we compare all throughout the day, we'll just see that it's all over the place, better, worse the same. And just remember this, like it's, it's not like 
uh, inherent to how we are. We're not one way or the other. So just to notice how it's always changing. It's always changing. And there's this recognition that when we notice it's always changing, as well as recognize that this is something that humans do, we don't have to hold on to it so tightly. Like, yeah, okay, right now I feel worse. I feel like I can't play the flute as well as this other person. Okay, that's how it is this moment. In a few moments, I will feel differently, but that's how I feel right now. Conceit. Superiority conceit, inferiority conceit, equality conceit. All three of these have, a little, have some suffering in them because we're making a self that's separate than everything else. But there's a way that we can just recognize that, okay, this is what humans do and not draw any conclusions that this means this about me. It doesn't. It just means at that moment you're having that comparing, the way that you're comparing. So I'll stop there, and maybe I'll open it up to see if there's some questions or comments. I have a few minutes here. You don't have to. Hi, thanks for the talk. Um, when you were talking about the author who spoke about self-esteem, I forget his name, Fulton or something yeah, Paul like Fulton. that. It reminds me of a talk I heard by a psychologist, Kristen Neff, and she had talked about how self-esteem is very fickle. And I guess the American uh, school system had taught self-esteem to uh, kids um, for however long. And so her, her sort of field of study is a self-compassion. It's kind of the antidote because you can have a great day and then something goes wrong, self-esteem goes down the drain. But for her, it was uh, self-compassion was kind of the new, new thing and sort of antidote to that, though. But yeah, thanks for the talk. Thank you. Thank you for bringing in that idea of self-compassion. And Kristen Neff, yeah, she, she, you know she's a Buddhist practitioner as well as a, as a psychologist. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that in. Self-compassion. To have compassion for ourselves. We have a lot of suffering. Anybody else have a comment or a question? Okay. So, oh, here's a comment over here. What's our homework? Your homework. Can you use conceit in a skillful way? Be inspired by other people. And can you maybe, when you feel like you have something that uh, to offer the world, maybe you feel like, oh, I have a skill or a knowledge or something that others, is there a way that you can share it, but without feeling like you know you have to teach others? There's a way of sharing. So maybe that's one. The second is to notice how it changes. Notice how this comparing changes. It's all throughout the day. Because sometimes we might fall into an idea about ourselves or even about ourselves in one particular regard, about meditation or knowledge or whatever it is, whatever it is. Is, is that helpful as homework? Yes. More. <laughs> More? <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, well, there's so much, right, that, about uh, how to kind of let go or soften this idea of a self that's distinct and separate and has to be bolstered and supported and protected, you know, this self of ours. There's, you could say, like, almost all Buddhist teachings are pointing to how actually there's suffering involved with that and it's extra. We don't need to do it. So, so lots of Dharma talks, lots of Dharma books <laughs> are pointing to this. Okay, thank you. If you have more questions, you're welcome to come up here and ask me. <laughs> 